0: We invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each one of us. Peace be with you. Friends, on this second Sunday of Advent, the church gives us the great Advent figure of John the Baptist. Can I give you an image now to meditate on during Advent? Go online and look up Shark Cathedral North Porch Statue of John the Baptist. When I was a doctoral student in in Paris, I went to Chartres as often as I could. Loved the place. And that's one of my favorite images is on the outside of the cathedral. There's something about just the poignancy and the longing in his expression, you'll see when you look it up, that to me always speaks of of Advent. So keep that uh, image in mind. And let's see what the uh, Gospel tells us about John the Baptist, because all the details, I think, are important to enter into a spirituality of Advent. First of all, he makes his appearance in the desert. How often great figures in the Bible spend at least some time in the desert? Jesus himself, of course. What is it about deserts? Now, these are, it's a desert people, that's true, but it wasn't nothing but desert. I mean, they they made a conscious effort to move into these places. How come? I've always felt it was Blaise Pascal who gave us the best explanation. Pascal said, most of us, most of the time, divert ourselves. We distract ourselves from the great questions about God and about life and about meaning and about death and about sin and grace, all the great questions. We engage in what he called, in his French, divertissement, diversions. Pascal himself, by the way, loved to gamble. He's a brilliant man. He spent, he felt, way too much of his life in these sort of idle games. Well, most of us do. Most of us do, most of the time. We distract ourselves from these great questions. Deserts are places of no distractions. When we get down to spiritual basics, nothing to divert us from the great questions. And so, it's in the desert that John the Baptist meets us. Advent is meant to be, now not maybe quite at the level of Lent, but it's similar here to Lent. It's meant to be a desert time to strip things away, purposely and consciously to ask the great questions. The most uh, elemental of which, how do I stand with God? Last week I spoke about Isaiah's mountain. Is God and the worship of God the highest mountain in your life? Is it? How do you stand with God? How do you stand with God? Oh, I'm I'm, you know, worried about my job and my family and about entertainment and about going here and about traveling and about the airport. And I yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But those are all ultimately divertissement. That's all distractions. Go into the desert. Meet John the Baptist there and ask the fundamental question. Okay, what's the Baptist theme? Repent. Reform. Metanoiete is what he says in the Greek. Jesus echoes that too in his his inaugural address in the Gospel of Mark. That's what he says, metanoiete. It means literally that the Greek implies go beyond the mind you have. Change your way of thinking. Change your way of seeing. How do you assess the world? What do you prioritize? It's probably wrong, (laughs) because he's addressing all of us sinners. And so change. Change your mind. Change your mentality. Change your perspective. And what should you do? Well, listen to him. The reign of God is at hand. What's the reign of God? Wrong question, actually. For Christians, who is the reign of God? John the Baptist is pointing his audience toward not a new state of affairs exactly, not an idea, not a new political arrangement, not even religious reform. He's directing his audience toward someone, the one that Origen called the auto basilea, the kingdom in person. In Jesus, divinity and humanity have met. In Jesus, heaven and earth have come together. In Jesus, God's will is done on earth as in heaven. In Jesus, this new way of being has appeared. And so, John the Baptist says to those who've come into the desert, they've left behind their distractions. They've come into the desert and he says, all right, wake up, repent, reform, change your mind, open your eyes that you might see this new state of affairs, this new kingdom, this person of Jesus. You know, everybody, in a way, for the last 2,000 years, that's all the Church has been saying. In a variety of cultures, across the centuries, in, in a thousand different languages, that's what the Church keeps saying, look, Repent. Change your mind. Open your eyes that you might see Jesus. Well, there's Advent for you. Go into the desert. Leave behind the diversions and distractions. Look. Look at him. Look at him. And then we hear, listen, Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region around the Jordan were going out to him as they confess their sins. It, it's a lovely image, isn't it? Here's John the Baptist, and he's described, you know, wearing animal skins and eating grasshoppers. And I, I always think of that um, depiction of him in, in Zepharelli's Jesus of Nazareth, you know, this wild figure. Uh, I mean, look at the shard statue, too. There's some of that, the emaciated quality of, of John the Baptist. But to this weird figure, they come. In great numbers, they stream toward this, this strange, alarming, disturbing character. Now why? Why? To confess their sins. And here's something, everybody. It's, it's a dilemma, in a way. It's a, it's a puzzle. The years I was coming of age in the Catholic Church, the years after Vatican II, we de-emphasized sin. The stress was placed on God's goodness and God's grace, and and all that's terrific. Of course, I've said to you a million times, grace comes first. Don't begin the spiritual life with sin. That, That gets you off on a bad foot. Grace comes first. However, I don't know any serious figure in the Bible who doesn't come to grips with our sin. There is something attractive about confessing our sins. See, because the culture will tell us in a thousand ways. You're okay. Everything's fine. It makes excuses for us. It it, um, uh, wishes sin away. It thinks sin away. It comes up with all sorts of justifications for it. I know. I know. And I'm susceptible to those suggestions from the culture. But don't listen to those voices. There's something profoundly healing, and we know it because deep down we know we're sinners. We know all is not right with us. And there's something very profoundly healing about being able to confess our sins. You want to hear a tragedy, everybody? I mean, it happened in my lifetime. Uh, Prior to Vatican II, I mean, Catholics in huge numbers went to confession. Now, mind you, I'm not blaming Vatican II for this. I'm not blaming the Council. But the years that I was coming of age, and, and talk to priests of a certain age, they'll tell you this. It didn't gradually um, dissipate. Confession went like this. Boom. It just fell off the table. Almost overnight, nobody came to confession. Oh, that's good, isn't it? No, it's not good. (laughs) It's not good. Hey, we're stressing God's grace. Well, terrific. But it's not good if we're not confessing our sin because we're not being spiritually honest. And, mind you, Watch the culture, all the different ways that people are seeking an outlet for confession, trying to find an avenue to confess their sins. Now, talking to, you know, to therapists and psychologists and, and judges, think of all those judging shows that we have. We've got a hunger to confess our sins as they streamed to John the Baptist in the desert. So today we should still stream toward the Lord so that we can have the soul-healing moment of confessing our sins. So can I suggest everybody, listen to me, go to confession this Advent. It's a great way, the best way to prepare for Christmas, the best way to enter the desert, to climb Isaiah's mountain, to wake up. Best way to do it, stream to a confessional. It's good for the soul. It always has been. You know, as I mentioned to you before, I think some of the 12-step programs, which, you know, have been so uh, powerful for so many people dealing with addictions. You tell somebody in the 12-step uh, process, Hey, you know, you're fine. Hey, you know, don't get hung up on what's wrong with you. You're, you're doing great. Give me a break. In the 12-step process, people are urged to do a searching moral inventory. They're urged, I mean, to confess what's gone wrong with their lives. That's soul-healing stuff, and it's very important during Advent. Well, with with that in mind now, listen uh, to some of these images associated with John the Baptist. He says, "'Even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Every tree that's not fruitful will be cut down and thrown into the fire.'" Oh, God, that's terrible. How frightening that language. Well, yeah. Yeah. Now, why? Well, talk to any, any gardener, anyone that knows how to make things grow. Sometimes you've got to prune plants so that they might grow. You're not trying to kill the plant. In fact, you're trying to save it. You leave a, a plant or a flower or something completely unattended, what will happen? It will die. It will die. Oh, no, I'm not here to, to cause pain to that poor plant. Yeah, but then it won't live. Are there things in us, and fellow sinners, you know I'm right about this? Are there things in us that need pruning, A cruelty and hatred and our violence and our pride and our, our envy and our anger and all the deadly sins? You bet. So, good. The axe is laid to the root of the tree. Every tree that's not fruitful will be cut down. That means everything in me that's not fruitful for life, the Lord wants to cut that away. Good, good. Good time for it, Edvin. And then, then this, "...the winnowing fan is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor." The winnowing fan was like a, like a rake, and what they would do is, the threshing floor was just like a flat area, and they'd bring the, the grain you know, and they throw it on the threshing floor, and then with this rake, on a windy day, they throw it up in the air so that the chaff would blow away. And then in this process of lifting up and the wind blowing, you'd separate, separate wheat from chaff. Okay, that was the idea. I'm sure, talk to farmers around, around Minnesota right now, they, there's a much more sophisticated way to do it. But in Jesus' time, that's how they did it. But it's a beautiful image, isn't it, of spiritual cleansing is Jesus comes into your life and he's going shake things up. He's not going to leave you as you are. He's not. He wants to separate. So the one image is he's going to want to cut things away. But here he wants to separate wheat from chaff. And what's life-giving in you and beautiful in you, he wants to separate it out from what's dragging you down. And that's going to be a little upsetting. Like, oh, stop throwing me up. Stop throwing my life up for grabs. But that's how you do it. And I always think of the wind, it's the wind of the Holy Spirit, right, that blows away the chaff from your life. Advent's a great time for that. Let the Lord do that work. And then finally, the Baptist says, I baptize you with water, but the one who will follow will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. Fire, of course, great biblical image of illumination, but also purification. baptize you not just with water but baptize you in the holy spirit that means the love that god is see we're not we're not just playing around here with this 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 christian business is very serious business it's not just about making us morally better i mean great i, I hope you are morally better at the end of advent but it wants so much more than that the church wants to divinize you to divinize you, to draw you into the divine life. That's what Advent's finally about, that you might welcome Christ who wants to live in you. So, on the second Sunday of Advent, let John the Baptist work his way into your psyche a little bit. Go back to that chart image. Look it up on the web, and let John the Baptist, he's he's laying the axe to the root of the tree. Okay, he's he's announcing the one who's coming with the winnowing fan. Fair enough. Let him do his work. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.